And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, July 1st. Nice to flip the calendar over to July. Feels like summer is really here, if it didn't already feel like that, because of the rising temperatures everywhere. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we have another installment of Overreaction Theater. And honestly, I think it might be our best one yet, Keith. We haven't done it yet. You can't say that. We're going to talk about the one time, the only time in your entire life that you started a firestorm. Yeah, I really got to put myself out there more. Yeah, you don't share your takes enough. You just cursed us, by the way. I know. This is like when I'm sitting with scouts, especially, and someone goes, this game is flying by. We're like, ah, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's over when, when someone says that. Oh, God. Yes. Can I hijack this for one second? Put a, put a pin in. Our, our, our big topic is coming. Minor league games, are they are shorter this year. I know there's data on this, but... They're moving faster. I know like, t- in terms of just start to finish time. Yes, they are. But I got to say, as somebody who obviously is a big part of the job, and I was at my early games Tuesday night and Wednesday. Tuesday night, I got Winston-Salem at Aberdeen. Last night, I went uh, just here in Wilmington to see Jersey Shore. Griff McGarry, Philly's prospect, punched out 11. He just needs to go to the – he needs to go to double A because there's stuff – they're not hitting well, Wilmington as a club. They're not hitting anybody, but he's not getting challenged. Anyway, both those games were two and a half hours, maybe a little bit less. And the Aberdeen one it was one of those where there was plenty of traffic on the bases. It wasn't that, but pitch clock helps. I can't believe it. I was not an advocate of the pitch clock. And I just still think there's a little bit of a downside here and, or at least some other things to consider, but I got to say, I'm, I'm liking it. A three hour game is fine. When we get past three hours, I get pretty antsy. I am a very short attention span kind of guy. And, you know, after it should not take three and a half, four hours to play nine innings because at that point, there's just too much dead time in there. And so I'm feeling okay about it, actually. I, th- I think I've become a little bit of a, an advocate for the pitch clock. I think pacing is important in all forms of entertainment. You mm-hmm. can't have 40 minutes of content on a podcast and drag it over 90 minutes because people won't listen to the no. full 90 minutes. You can't take a 90 minutes of story in a movie and turn it into a two and a half hour movie. People always catch on to that. So you read my House of Gucci review then. That's a spicy meatball. Yes. Just get it done. Just get it done. Yeah. Well, that was what they did. There was probably a two and a half hour story to be made, but that was not that movie. That movie had about, that was your 90 minutes of story. And that might be being generous spread out over two and a half hours. And way too much of that two, two and a half hours had Jared Leto in like a fat face prosthetic thing, talking like he's Chef Boyardee. Mm. Anyway, how Sounds about we get unpleasant. to the actual topic of the day? This is like, we don't usually do intros like this. Yeah, it's fun. Fun to yeah. kick back and enjoy a few minutes of, of just hanging out. So the topic of the day, this is something that you started a firestorm with several years ago. Six and a half years ago. Yeah. Six and a half years ago, before Mike Trout signed a long-term extension to stay with the Angels, that 12-year, $426 million contract, before he signed that, you suggested that the Angels should trade Mike Trout. And people kind of lost their minds around the baseball Twitterverse and As elsewhere. It happens sometimes. I am here to ask, should the Angels actually consider doing this now, even though he's got the long-term deal? Should the Angels think about the best interest of their franchise and say, the way we are going to get a lot better in the long run is actually by getting quite a bit worse in the short term? Because they Mm -hmm. seem like they are in the middle ground. They are stuck in baseball purgatory. They are not good enough to get to the playoffs and win in the playoffs. They don't have enough young talent to tear it down right now. But if you told me Mike Trout's available, 
I would say that's probably a good idea for them. So what do you think would happen if they put Trout out there? If they tried to make a deal, what would it even look like at this point? Now that we're talking about a 30-year-old superstar who is still playing at a really high level Mm -hmm. and has had a few injury-shortened seasons in recent years that would add a lot of risk to someone who would be interested in trading for him. So can I just go back and read what I wrote in 2016 that got this whole thing going? Because I think it's relevant. I think it also sets up for... You know, there are people probably listening now. Like, are we really doing this? Right? We're not trying to hot take this, even though I understand some someone is inevitably going to take it that way. But that's not why we're doing this. So here's what I wrote uh, in heading into the 2016 season. I was still writing for ESPN, and I had the Angels ranked as the 30th farm system. There are 30 teams. That means that they were last. And what I wrote was, I've been doing these rankings for eight years now, and this is by far the worst system I've ever seen. They traded their top two prospects in the Andrelton Simmons deal and had no one remotely close to top 100 status. That deal actually turned out fine, by the way. That wasn't the issue. They need a big draft this year to start to restock the system, or we're going to start talking about whether it's time to trade Mike Trout. And at that point, as you said, Trout had not signed the big extension. But now since then, we've had 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That is six years, and they have still not made the postseason. With Mike Trout, they kept Mike Trout. They paid Mike Trout. That is a good thing. Um, they are now four games under 500. I just pulled up baseball reference. They have them at 8% to make the postseason and 0.1% to win the World Series. I don't care about the World Series odds so much. They just got to make the playoffs, especially then, right? That's the, at this point, the goal is just get Trout and Otani into the postseason. They have not even been able to do that. And since I wrote that, they have fired a general manager, hired a new one, fired him, hired another new one, and they're still probably not heading to the postseason. They are actually probably closer at this point than they've been in those six years. I look at this roster and I think they should be they should be better, right? They, they should be closer to the postseason. They have basically, they're actually underplaying their Pythagorean record by two games. There is still a decent chance you know, non-zero chance that they do get to the postseason. I think they sh- they should be better, actually. I mean, for now, after years and years, it was, there's no starting pitching, there's no starting pitching, there's no starting pitching. The rotation's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not great. I don't look at that and say that's a contender's rotation. But, God, their worst starter, Reed Detmers, who they sent to the minors, an 85 ERA plus, 4.66. Now he was a little bit worse than that because he's kind of homer prone. But they have four guys who are perfectly average or better. Obviously, in Otani's case, much better. Major league starters. So that's not really the issue. But that now suddenly the, you know, and a lot of that is come to Lorenzen came from outside the org. Cindergard came from outside the org. That's looking like a really good deal so far. Sanderval came from outside the org. I mean, I guess technically Otani did too, even though he came in sort of as a prospect. Um, they they built the rotation from outside the organization. Uh, three of those guys, I think, well, actually, I don't remember when Sandoval was involved. Perry Manazian brought in at least two of them. Jose Suarez is nominally the fifth starter. Now he's the only truly homegrown guy they have in the rotation, which I think speaks to all the problems they've had with that farm system. And it, and it's across the board. It's bit, it's trades, it's bad drafts, it's given, it's surrendered to draft picks. It has been some lack of development. It's not really on any of the people who are currently in the organization. This is multiple previous regimes here. But now suddenly you look and, well, wait, now the lineup's not very good. And losing Anthony Rendon, who's had two miserable years, both ended with big injuries. I mean, there's, it's like a three-man show in the lineup at this point. And thank God for Taylor Ward. I don't know where the hell this came from. But, you know, Taylor Ward is the second or third best hitter in the lineup. But it's still, it's basically a three-man lineup. And that's not going to be anywhere near enough, I think, to get, it might get them to the postseason as the postseason expanded and they could end up, with a little luck, slightly over 500. You've got a team OVP of 307. That's not getting you anywhere. And I don't see this getting better next year, the year after that. They're going to run out basically the same set of guys. Either they spend a lot of money to try to keep filling or filling the various gaps that they have. And by the way, Cinderbird's free agent after the season. Or they say, it's not happening, and we have to consider trading some of these guys and that's you know the, the most value you're going to get. Obviously, it's Trout and Otani. People don't want to talk about Otani as being a free agent, but I believe it's after next season. Yep, after 2023, yeah. Yeah, just crazy. It feels like he just got here. We're just starting to appreciate what we have. 
And he's almost hitting free agency already and will hit free agency before he turns 30. It's going to be a pretty big contract, I think. I think the amazing thing about Shohei Otani is that I didn't know if he had another level as a pitcher. And what he's showing us this year is another level. And yeah. even if he were only a hitter, he'd be amazing. And I say yeah. only with the the biggest air quotes you can possibly imagine. Sure. I, this is not something that I would want as a fan of this team. I'd want to watch these guys as long as possible. No. I, I just think this is the... This is the fork in the road where you either have to start thinking about trading these guys to make your organization better and start thinking about it doesn't mean do it before August 2nd. The trade deadline's August 2nd this year. I'm not saying you're trading Mike Trout this summer. I'm saying if you don't make the playoffs this year, you need to seriously consider a future without him because the return would still be significant, even yes. with the injury concerns, even with the age, because he is that kind of player and I think maybe it is the kind of trade that has to happen in the offseason because when you're trading that much salary you need teams to have the offseason to kind of work out how they're going to make it fit right you're not talking about this as a midseason move thank you for bringing up that point too I have and I, I'm not the only one I'm not taking credit here I didn't come up with the idea but the idea of we'll just trade him at the deadline your market will always be smaller at the deadline Always, because there will be teams that cannot add payroll, owners who decide they're not going to add payroll in the middle of a season. You get to the end of a season, some players leave, your pay, your commitments naturally go down at the end of every season, you have more room in the payroll. Suddenly, your potential buyers, number of potential buyers for a player with a long-term contract goes from, you know, I don't know, four to six maybe, depending, it could depend on the player, to 20-something. I mean, there is always, technically speaking, every team could take Mike Trout, right? The Pirates could take on Mike Trout. Be kind of awesome. Imagine if the Pirates traded Brian Reynolds, got a bunch of prospects, and then turned around and traded for Mike Trout. That would be amazing. Could Bob Nutting, the owner of the Pirates, could he completely change his reputation as the Pirates' owner by having the team make those moves? I could make the argument to them. I'm sure Ben Charrington could too. He's super bright. I've known Ben for a very long time. I think really, really highly of him. He could make this argument too. This is not just me. But I could make that argument that actually that series of moves would make more money for the Pirates, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, they've not wanted to spend. They take their revenue sharing checks and the Nuttings just cash them and put them into, I don't know, to the Seven Springs Resort or wherever. They're not putting into the team. You run Mike Trout out there, they're probably going to pack PNC Park a whole bunch of times. And by the way, that's they're, you know, Mike Trout's a pretty good player. That probably does speed things along. They're a little further into a rebuild here. It's not going great. There's some good things. There's some not good things. I've seen that Altoona club, and they've got other guys who are just, honestly, they've got a few other guys who are just not developing anywhere near as expected. But there are enough guys who are succeeding. If you could add one superstar to that mix and then also get the proceeds of a Brian Reynolds trade, which is really just about he's heading for free agency, not because I don't like Brian Reynolds. I, I like him quite a bit. You could see this becoming an 85 win team probably pretty quickly. Um, so anyway, we got that. That was a huge digression. I just sort of love the idea. I mean, as long as we're doing this, right, let's just do it. Let's just lean into this particular topic of discussion here. But back to the angels. Again, I look at the farm system. It's better than it was. This is not the 2016 angels farm system, but it's still pretty thin and a lot of their gut, they're still having trouble. I think a lot of this now is new front office, new player development. They're getting in and just hired new player development guy. I think last off season. So he's barely had any time to implement anything. And he's trying to work with players who were acquired by previous, the previous regime too. And that's often hard. I think the Phillies Preston Mattingly is running into this right now. I think the pirates have run into this quite a bit too, where wait a minute, these aren't the players we would have necessarily selected. And so ideas, we have a philosophy we have, you know, it's not your, the players you brought in through the draft or through international free agency, or even through trade are not necessarily tailored to your player development core competencies. And I think these are all clubs that are dealing with this. And at some level you have to say, you got to deal with it. These are the players you have. You have to be able to work with this. But I can see you look at the Angels right now, it's, it's not going great. This, the system is not advanced. It's not been a good year on the farm for the players the Angels already had in the system. And, you know, and I think that's highlighted by Detmers, who really hasn't been what we expected and hasn't shown the thing that shocked me. God, where was I asked this? Maybe you asked me this at some point. Somewhere I was asked this. You know, the thing I can't get over is Detmers in college 
it was, this guy's got the best command in the draft. It's 60 command. He's going to be a plus command guy. And I think the number one thing that's plagued Reed Detmers in the big leagues is he has not had very good command. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, what happened? He was fine. You know, the old scouting saying, Hey, through 95, when I put him on the bus, I don't know what player development did to him. Hey, we put Reed Detmers on the, on the bus and he had plus command. What happened? And I hate to put all this on Detmer's shoulders because that, because that's not fair. But I think it's an example of well, a lot of this isn't working out so far, and that's lousy. It's lousy for Angels fans. It's lousy for the front office too. I'm sure they're extremely frustrated with uh, with the guys in that system who've failed to progress. But it puts them in this situation where you don't want to be getting to next year's trade deadline. Shohei Otani is three months from free agency, and you're just sitting there three games under 500 again. Yeah. And that's the next part of the question is what would you do with Otani? If you're talking about trading Trout, you're trading Otani. Do you agree? I could go the other way. I could say, we'll trade Otani because he's getting free agency, but we'll keep Trout. But I can't see the opposite. I could see trade Trout, get players to put around Otani and extend Otani and pay him. if yeah. he wants to stay. Like I think that's that's a totally reasonable path. Yeah. Which we don't we certainly don't know, right? The guy who signed him, the group that signed him, they're not there anymore. Here's the other fun part of this, I guess, is what teams would actually the Pirates example is true. It's still to me a question of what teams have the young talent necessary to make a deal with the Angels for Trout that the Angels would find acceptable. I think most teams in the league would happily add Mike Trout even at that contract. Like that's a fair statement. There's a handful of outliers, I'm sure. But how many teams have a good enough system where it would make a lot of sense for both sides to work this out. I mean, there's one about, I don't know, five, 10 miles away, right? Ah, Could you imagine? Don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that to us. They could, though. They could go get anybody. It's taking 10-year-old Keith shopping at the toy store on his birthday. I mean, you can have anything you want. Like The Angels could just put together a wish list of four or five players from that system. The Dodgers would probably just say, okay, sure. Yeah. We'll go get yes. more. Oh, they absolutely would. They absolutely would. They'll sprinkle some, you know, Dodger player development dust. Yeah. Speaking of that, so could the Cardinals. Now, I don't know that the Cardinals would want to take the contract, but they could do that. They could absolutely do that and make it. I mean, with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, who I'm hoping he futures games in a couple of weeks, I'm really hoping we're going to see both of those guys there. That's a draft class from two. That was a pandemic draft, right? Where that's, I mean, that draft looks unbelievable for them right now. They rolled the dice big times. Walker was huge, athletic, tooled up. Don't know if he can hit. Everybody said that. You know, we really don't know if this kid can hit. And then he comes in, turns out he's he's bit, basically been a better hitter in pro ball than he was in high school, which is extremely rare. And then Mason Wynn, there were all these questions about makeup and how much does he want to play and et cetera. And he got sent home from the player development program from MLB. Not only is there never been a, any, even a whisper of that since he got in a pro ball. He's turned out to be a way more advanced player. The Cardinals, they're doing so much right. I'm not going to do the whole Cardinal system here. They're doing a lot right, which puts them in again in this position where they could package a few of these guys together. Maybe not those two specifically. They could put a few guys together and probably acquire anyone in baseball who's available in trade. And you think about a core for a few more years of Arenado, Trout, and Goldschmidt. Sure, all on the wrong side of 30, but a team that mm-hmm. can win now and, and possibly now, dominate right? in that division, right? Like the, the point is still to win. I know we're always trying to get excited about future value, but you do want mm-hmm. to try and win titles when you can. And they would, yeah, they would be on the on the list of teams where you could you could see it. And they've also traded for older players. Arenado and Goldschmidt. I mean, the yes. circumstances were different maybe in both cases, but at least in the case of Goldschmidt, they extended him too. Yep. While we're spitballing, how about the Orioles? That would be another situation where you'd be talking about changing changing fan perception of the franchise real fast. And I think that's really appealing in some of these cases. If the Angels are saying we have to get some pitching back in the deal, that's the wrong trade partner. The strength of the Orioles system is position players, but it's very, very deep in position players. They could probably put together a five-player deal where the Angels would look and say, that's a hell of a lot of talent coming back that they consider it. Again, I feel like we got to keep saying this. There's no reason to believe any of this is going to happen. We're, we're just arguing that it, that it makes some baseball sense for the Angels to consider doing this. 
But that's one of those, you know, I always think I, I hate to use this guy's name for other reasons at this point, but you want to do the Herschel Walker deal, right? right. You want to trade the guy where you turn the whole system around, right? That was the Cowboys traded Walker to the Vikings and got a whole, I think it was more draft picks, right? They got a whole slew of draft picks that they ended up turning into the core of a multiple Super Bowl winning team. That's what you're trying to do here. This is what we're not trying to screw with the Angels. We're not trying to kill Angels fans through the podcast. Um, <laughs> We do not actually hate your team, but I do think this is what you're this is what you're trying to do. And in fact, I would say if you're not getting the Herschel Walker deal, you don't do it. Of course, you have to get the return that you want. Otherwise, you keep the superstar. You keep the superstar. You keep the face of the franchise, who, by the way, has never, as far as I know, indicated he actually wants out. Now, who knows what he's thinking privately? You know, I'm sure he stood right. It was one where he's standing there in center field and watching Joe Madden intentionally walk a run in yeah. and thinking, you know, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. But, you know, so as far as we know, he's not asking out. We're just talking about what we think is a rational hypothetical here. I don't know if the Orioles would be the right partner for that reason. I just outlined right? I don't know that the Angels can do this deal where they're not getting both. You can get more hitting or more pitching, something that I probably lean actually a little bit towards getting more hitting. But I think a package that is just hitting puts the Angels a little bit in the same situation they've been in the last few years where you, you want to also be acquiring some pitching. Someone, some Angels fan is out there kind of waving his hand or her hand saying the Angels just had an all pitching draft last year. We may have more pitching. It's a little early to say. I, I think the jury remains out on that draft. Some good stuff happening so far and cautiously optimistic, but we're not at the point where I'll say, hey, the Angels finally have pitching coming. Ask me in six months. Yeah, it's going to be a critical stretch for them in these next four weeks to see if they're going to put more resources into this roster. You know, are they going to be among the teams that kind of shops from the middle and tries to make that run to the wild card? I think that's at least a possibility. It's always a possibility with the, the roster that they have in place. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We should talk about the Dodgers for a bit. For as, as good as they are, they don't get as much attention in this podcast as you might think. And I'm, I am. It's poor Dodgers fans. I am uh, really having some issues visualizing Mike Trout in a Dodgers uniform. <laughs> That's making me a little ill and kind of sad that I even brought up the idea of something like this. But you're, you're not wrong just based on who has all the, the young talent to trade. But the Dodgers have a couple of issues they need to iron out on their roster right now. Max Muncie just hasn't looked right this year. He's got the elbow injury. I think right? yeah. that's the full explanation for me. If he has surgery, shuts it down, comes back next year, I think Max Muncie could go back to being the player we've seen throughout his time with the Dodgers. Justin Turner has been not himself also. And I think we're at the point in the career of Justin Turner where you can kind of look and say, well, this very reasonably could be the end of a, a career that was very productive and getting an upgrade, be that via trade, or even trusting one of the younger players in the organization, someone like Miguel Vargas to have a larger role. Yep. Those both seem like possibilities for the Dodgers as they try to fortify their roster here in the next month or so. Yeah, I think you never say never with the Dodgers because they could certainly, and the Andrew Friedman and company has shown, they will go out and make an outside acquisition. They did it last year. So I don't, I'm not saying in any way that I rule that out. However, They've got also players within the system who could come up and help them at some point. I, I might have said Michael Bush. He's actually struggling just enough at AAA with contact where maybe he's not so much of a help this year. But I think Miguel Vargas, absolutely, who does make a ton of contact, would be somebody who could really help them this year on the offensive side. 
And of course, they've got arms. They've got a ton of arms coming. Bobby Miller, I think, is a long-term starting pitching prospect, but could he come up and help them out of the bullpen and be just devastating? You know, I was thinking about David Price breaking in when Andrew Friedman was the GM of the race. What's that? 08, September of 08? Long time ago now. Yep. A whole career ago, basically. But yes, that could absolutely, that you could see them doing that. I do. I, in fact, I am saying I do see them doing something like that. I think they will bring up some of these guys, some of their better upper tier prospects with an eye towards we're going to use this player in some limited role this year, even though we don't think that's necessarily his role for the long term. They, they, they have quite a few players like that who could potentially help them, probably more on the pitching side. Now that I think about it, you know, somebody like Gavin Stone, who probably actually probably projects as a reliever long term anyway, but has been excellent as a starter so far. That's another guy you could potentially bring up and put in the bullpen. They have, they have five or six of those guys who could come up and it may just be that they're looking for a right hand or a left hand or a certain there's one particular pitch that they think complements what else is in their bullpen. They, they can do that. And I would be, so I guess what I'm saying is I'd be a little surprised if the Dodgers went outside for that kind of help. Now, could they go trade for a superstar? Obviously, if the Angels suddenly say, hey, Shai Otani's available, I think the Dodgers will be interested, right? They'll just, right? That's when you just you just open the vault and you say, go, go in, take three of whatever you want. Zero percent chance that Shohei Otani gets moved this season. I, by the way, I don't really want to see that either. Also, the, you know, the problem is, you know, just to put a coda on that too, hey, if they trade Trout or Otani for, for our business, it's great, right? I mean, I'm sure the piece I do breaking down what the rest of that deal is will do great numbers. As a baseball fan, ugh. yeah, unless you're a fan of the team that he's going to, I get, yeah, which I'm not, right? Because I hate all teams, right? Even there's a part of me that's just like, can we just baseball? Let's just baseball. There will be trades, obviously, and a good trade deadline is a fun trade deadline. The narrative, the story that's going to be around Shohei Otani getting traded at any point is going to be bonkers. I particularly don't want that midseason. I'd be very much happier to have that happen in December if it happens. I would love for it to happen without a lot of warning. This is the kind of thing that you and I talk about for for five minutes on a show in June. And then (laughs) at the end of the year, it stuns everyone. And we're just like, yes, great. Oh, no, you don't want six months months of think pieces. I do not. Here's what all 29 other teams could offer for Shohei Otani. I mean, look, regardless of the path the Angels eventually choose, they need to invest more in player development. They need to invest more in the places where it matters. That is part of why they're stuck here. And that takes time, too. That doesn't just happen overnight. Yep. I think it's time. You're right. That is where that's that's a deficient been a deficiency. It's also the most recent thing that Perry Manassian has tried to change over there. And it's going to take time. But then the question is, does it happen fast enough for you to put the pieces together with the top you have now and what you're building for later? And I think that's where you get all the the big question marks. I want to talk about the giant system for a moment because they they're among the teams fully in the mix for a playoff berth again this season. We talked about them on the 3-0 show yesterday, and I think there's some disagreement about the quality and the depth of their farm system. I think they were top 10 back when you published your organizational rankings in Mm -hmm. February. Are they still in that range for you? Have players developed as expected? I know Kyle Harrison was among the players that you saw recently. He's their top pitching prospect. But as a group, is this system still as as deep and good as it appeared to be going into this season? And Harrison was uh, uh, very good. For folks who don't know, Kyle Harrison, Giants' number one pitching prospect, uh, left-hander, really funky delivery. And I have to say, I don't love the delivery, but it's hard to argue with what comes out. And he does throw strikes. I think he's got, I think he's able to repeat it despite some difficulty. Wouldn't surprise me if he's a, an adjustments guy as he moves up that they have to keep tweaking. But I mean, his, he's, he just blew away that Portland lineup and he struck out Sedan Raffaello, who's kind of the breakout guy in the Red Sox system this year. And it's very interesting. Um, but Harrison just depants him. It was three strikeouts. He was doing it different pitches each time around. And you know, I sort of joke, it's not really the ideal day to evaluate Rafael. It's like, oh, hey, face one of the best pitching prospects in all of the minors and a guy with a particularly tough delivery that gives a lot of deception. Like, I, I, it's fine. Um, you know, and he's he has done exactly what we expected. It, look, it hurts. Marco Luciano was in it, was off to a great start, and then he's been hurt. Um, and that's their best. I had him as their best overall prospect, too. So I don't think he's lost any ground, certainly, but. You know, when your best guy is on the shelf for a while, he's not 
steadily progressing towards the big leagues. That hurts. Luis Matos has gotten off to a pretty rough start. But the good news, I think, for Giants fans is that they've also had a few other guys bounce back. You know, Casey Schmidt's emergence, he's always been able to play the hell out of third base. But his emergence now, he's a touch old for the league, but he's actually really been hitting this year. Having a couple of guys like that take steps forward, even as some other guys have maybe stalled or a couple guys have gone down a little bit. I think they're probably, I don't do re-rankings in the middle of the season because I don't think I could do it justice. But just eyeballing it, I feel comfortable they're still in that upper tier. They're well, they're above the median. They're probably still in the upper third. Okay, so at least still top half. And that, to me, is an indicator that they have enough talent where they could justify trading some young players if they Mm want to make more upgrades. And, you know, last year, Chris Bryant was the big piece they got. I think they need one more bat like that. But I think the other tricky thing about the Giants and the way they built the roster this year is they really embraced the discounts you could get on pitchers with pretty scary injury histories. Mm -hmm. And they've felt that, I think, to this point in the season where it really comes back to bite you is if those injuries pop up after the deadline, right? You get between August, September, and October, you start losing guys and you don't have any means to go out and replace them. So I wonder if they're going to be among the teams interested in Frankie Montas. And I think they are going to be Mm. consistently listed as a team looking for one more starting pitcher. And I think it would, it would make a lot of sense because it would just, if you shorten up that rotation in the playoffs and maybe it's more of a trio of a guy like Montas or someone else they trade for at a similar level, along with Logan Webb and Carlos Rodon. That's as good of a trio as really any trio in the postseason. I think that can stack up pretty well with anybody, with the exception maybe being a healthy trio atop the Mets rotation. That might be the one team yeah. they could match up with who would be clearly better one through three. And that, I think, makes the Giants more of a World Series contender than if they're cobbling it together with Wood and Alex Cobb and hoping to get both of those guys right. I actually agree with all that. By the way, I do want to mention Mason Black, another guy in the Giants system who I think's taken a nice step forward this year. He wasn't healthy. I don't think he pitched at all last year, actually, after the draft, but was, was too good for low A as a college product and has been mostly very good in high A um, so far. So another another reason I'm still fairly optimistic about the giant system. And to your point, yes, I think that's to your point about their system. Um, uh, and I'm sorry about their rotation right now. I agree. I think they probably should be looking for it's, it's depth, like depth protection, because I mean, frankly, they're, they got a lot of guys on in the rotation. And I think in the lineup too, who've got some injury concerns, whether it's actual histories of injuries or just age, they need that second layer of protection because they don't have what I was just discussing with the Dodgers, right? That group of guys in double and triple a where they could reach down and they need someone to play for a couple of weeks, you know, replacing a superstar who's out, but somebody to come in and play competently for two weeks. Cause Joey bag of donuts is on the DL on the IL. The Dodgers, I think can fade that a lot more easily than the giants can right now. And that to me would inform a trade deadline strategy that says, all right, where do we think we're least covered? And it may be in the rotation. We just need an extra we just need another starter so that we're heading into the postseason with five guys who could potentially start a postseason game for us. Understanding one of them by the time we get to October probably won't be available for one reason or another. So then we have four guys and we can mix and match with those. And always there's always a chance for a bullpen game at some point, which I hate seeing, but that is a valid strategy. The name that I think is kind of interesting when you think about this trade deadline is Herman Marquez in Colorado having a disaster mm. season right now. I mean, we, we know what the difficulties of pitching at Coors Field. Everything is going wrong for him right now. K rate's low. Walk rate is up just like it was last year at eight and a half percent. ERA is close to six. So this is the worst version of Herman Marquez that we've really seen since his rookie season. He debuted, I think, as a 21-year-old back in 2016. 16. Still some time left on the contract. Very team-friendly deal that Marquez has. God, he's leading the NL and earned runs allowed. I did not realize that. It's bad. So under contract through 23, plus a club option for 24. And at the time that they got Marquez to sign that very team-friendly deal, Mm -hmm. it reminded me of the Chris Archer situation in Tampa Bay a few years ago where I looked at him and I thought, okay, this is great value for the Rockies. So hard to get free agent pitchers to want to go there. They're getting mm-hmm. a guy that gets pretty good results there, all things considered. And I think in somewhere other park would be like a top 20, top 25 starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I think they're running the risk if they don't move him soon of losing the potential of bringing back a lot of value. And 
there's a little bit of, of skills erosion with that walk rate, but the velo is still good. And as a guy that's so dependent upon a great curveball, I think he gets punished even more by Coors Field than other pitchers with different repertoires would. Yes. In fact, he's got a pretty big reverse split this year, um, which says to me also that the curveball, which is pretty good and which is probably the pitch he locates the best, but it's going to, well, it's, it's absolutely going to be better away from Denver. Just that's a matter of physics rather than just a pure baseball question. Um, it also, it just seems like he is, his command has taken a step. It's not just the control, which you're mentioning in the, which we can just see in the walk rate. But if you look also, he is, there's a lot of middle, middle mm-hmm. with his four seamer and with his slider. And again, slider, another one, probably a better pitch if he gets away from course field and he throws it more than the curveball. Which I can understand. I mean, again, maybe a factor of where he's pitching decides that the curveball is tougher to throw. It's not an effect as effective in the half of his starts that he's making at altitude. I could certainly understand if that were the case. But ultimately, that would be. It doesn't seem like there's an actual erosion anywhere in the quality of the stuff, which would be the number one thing I would be looking at. And I'm just looking at data, right? I haven't gone and seen him or, or watched video specifically of him before this conversation. But that's what I would. Number one thing I would want to see is. Is the stuff okay? He's pitching worse. Is the stuff okay? Yeah, it looks like it's fine. It's just as good as last year. Okay, he's not locating. All right, well, what is that? Is that bad luck? Is it, hey, the baseball's different. That doesn't help. Uh, or is it something maybe more serious, like a delivery issue? Um, those are That's a question I can't answer, but at least seeing that the stuff is okay does make me think, all right, there's probably some value still there. He could be more valuable to another team than he is to the than he is to the Rockies. I, I, so I just still have his savant page open. He cannot miss a bat with his fastball this year. That's wow. Seven percent on the four seamer. Now the distinction four seamer sinker distinction sometimes in savant is not a hundred percent accurate, but wow. Don't usually see rates that low on a fastball that's 95 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean I think that the kind of team that makes a lot of sense to me is a team like Minnesota, where they've got some yes. some players who are big league ready without regular spots to play. I know mm-hmm. the Royce Lewis injury takes away one of those options, of course, yeah. but they need pitching. There's like 12 plus teams that need pitching right now that want to go to the playoffs and, and win in the playoffs. But it's a non-rental scenario. And I think if you have players who are big league ready that you can trade, you want players back that you will have for more than one year. And I think the Rockies are one of those teams. They're a little light on talent. So getting multiple players back that can cover spots would make a lot of sense. I think they line up really well. They're certainly not the only team, but that's the kind of spot where I'd be really excited. Now, mm-hmm. I think the other question is, you think about Wes Johnson leaving. How much of, of an organizational philosophy is just the result of the pitching coach? Like how... If we looked at the Twins and said, "Yeah, they've they've got some they've got some guys that are getting more mileage out of than expected," we've talked about Joe Ryan a bunch of times on this show. Do we still look at the Twins and say, overall, it's a better place than average for a pitcher to go to be fixed, or does that change completely with Wes Johnson moving on to LSU? We don't know. You know, somebody, a scout friend of mine, a guy whose opinions I respect quite a bit, he asked me, he "said What do you got on this?" I said. I don't know any of the details of why Johnson left. We shouldn't be losing coaches to college baseball, though. That's the wrong direction, right? We should be paying more and offering a better environment, a better job. LSU is pretty amazing. I have been there. I have been in the facilities. It's incredible. They're, what they have there rivals my major league spring training complexes. It's incredibly impressive. This is not a criticism of LSU. It's not a criticism of college baseball specifically, but we're the big leagues. This should be the goal for coaches as it is for players. So I have to admit that kind of gets under my skin a little bit. What are we doing wrong as an industry that we're losing, that we would lose someone like that? And he's not the only one. It's just the highest profile. As for its impact on the twins, I think it's TBD, right? And a lot of it depends on how much was in his head, how much was organizational. And was he sharing that? Did he essentially train the people he was working with to be able to implement those philosophies now he's now that he's leaving. I will also say it really stinks for a guy like that to leave in the middle of the season. Sure. I understand why, right? Because our schedule and the college baseball schedule do not line up. But boy, that sucks. That sucks for the players more than every more than anybody else for the individual players. 
yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see just how they fare uh, on that side without mm-hmm. him because it, it'll help answer some of those questions. How how well connected was the staff as a whole? I tend to believe that an organization is often on the same page with how it wants to approach pitching, philosophy, yeah. location, strategy, different things that they care about. So it shouldn't have a devastating effect, but it could have a significant effect. And I think that's the, that's the unanswered question that Twins fans are kind of holding their breath over right now. Well, and I think this really ties into, you know, if you follow the Royals, I was going to say the blogosphere, is that even a thing anymore? I don't myself. think so. I think the blogosphere is a thing of the past. A lot of Royals folks on Twitter and Royals Review, which is a great Royals blog, by the way, it's been around forever. They've been pretty heavily advocating for the Royals to fire Cal Eldred. And, and the case that they're making is a good one. I think you can really boil it down to, they had a lot of really good pitching prospects and we all ranked them kind of differently. But the one thing all those pitchers seem to have in common is that none of them is succeeding at the major league level. And you cannot whiff on that many guys. Most of them are, that we're talking about were college guys. They were pretty close to finished products. They had less development required than the high school guys did. And the fact that they're all failing is a problem. That is more of a sign of a systemic issue than an individual player issue. And they're saying fire Cal Eldridge. That may be the right decision. Cal Eldred may not be a good pitching coach. I am not disputing that. I don't think I really know enough information to support that. I think that the Royals Review guys made a very good case uh, more than once that they have done this. And I've seen other Royals people, Randy Gisairli, for example, have made the same argument. But if Cal Eldred leaves, he's just one person. And if they bring in someone else right now, You've changed the biggest voice in the room, but he wasn't the only, he's not the only voice in the room. You probably have a lot of other people there who, whether they agreed with Eldred's philosophy or not, ideally your organization is kind of all working from the same sheet here. And so this could be a much bigger thing than just one person. And there is always the possibility that what people are blaming on Eldred actually comes from the manager, actually comes from the front office. I don't, I don't know. I got to be so clear. Soren Petro, Casey Radio, has asked me these questions too. And I kind of have to demur a little bit because I know what I don't know. And one thing I don't know is who's really in charge of the pitching development philosophy over there, particularly as it applies to pitchers reaching the major leagues. So losing a guy, firing a guy may lead to real change. It might not lead to much change at all. And I think it's really hard for those of us on the outside to predict that without having some inside knowledge. I do think it's different for managers because we can see a lot of what the managers do. Their decisions are, many of their decisions are very concrete and they're visible to everyone. But what hitting and pitching coaches do, and especially what those folks analogs do on the minor league side, is pretty, it's pretty opaque. And even as somebody who covers a lot of that stuff, I often don't know a ton. I know some. And when I get a a hold of a good story, like the work Alex Umwalt has done with the Royals in helping change the organization-wide emphasis on plate discipline and overall plans for at-bats, I run with that. Hey, this is good. This is very specific and it's concrete. And I feel like I can actually make that connection and bring that forward to readers and say, hey, you saw this big change. Here's the reason why. We don't, don't always get that information. And it's why I would say to Twins fans, don't panic. That you lost Wes Johnson. It's not good, but it's not necessarily the end of the world. And I would say to Royals fans, hey, if they do fire Cal Eldred, it might not turn everything around right away. If you need a positive, regionally similar situation to cling to, Twins fans, the mm-hmm. Brewers lost Derek Johnson to the Reds a few years ago. Chris Hook became the pitching coach. Brewers pitching didn't just collapse. Brewers pitching still no, the same like as it okay was. they were okay last year, right? They ended up being the same because I think in that case, you can see it's a little more of an organizational top-down sort of thing with how they're working with those players. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I think the Royals are, are just interesting. We've talked about MJ Melendez and just the massive improvement in his strikeout rate coming through the minor league system. They just promoted Vinny Pasquantino. They found a taker for Carlos Santana. Forza Zuri. I figured you'd be excited about Vinny Pasquantino for you know reasons that he's got the Italian heritage. But the, the real thing that's interesting about him is he's a low K-rate guy that can hit the ball pretty hard. We've seen game power on display pretty much everywhere Vinny Pasquantino has played in this system. And I always think first base prospects are, are judged very harshly because you have to hit a lot to justify becoming a big leaguer at that position. Yep. But this is pretty unusual. We don't see a lot of guys run through high A, double A, and triple A with a K rate below 15% with a good walk rate at all those stops and the kind of power that Pasquantino has. So are you a believer that he is a long-term solution at first base? I mean, he got to the big leagues faster than Nick Prado and with less attention, at least at the beginning of his professional career. Yep. Uh, it's anti-Italian bias, obviously. <laughs> Prado could be Italian too. <laughs> his name as Phil Rizzuto would say, his name ends in a vowel. He must be Italian. <laughs> oh, and we are still waiting for Vinny's first big league hit, although he has reached base twice. Um, which is funny because we Italians, we're not really known for our patience. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a believer. I recognize the ceiling's capped, right? There's, there's a chance Vinny's never more than a, like a, just a nice big league regular because of the lack of defensive and positional value. I do get that. I think he can really hit. I think the power is there. It also wouldn't surprise me if he turned out to be an above average regular, because the biggest thing is because he is all this type of player we see a lot of them where they do, they hit for average, they hit for power, they draw some walks, but there's a fair amount of swing and miss. And that's just not been a thing for Pasquantino. There are a bunch of these guys kicking around. I think Dustin Harris was the one I had at the very back of my top 100. Maybe it should have been Vinny instead. That type of player, they're never going to rank high on anyone's prospect rankings, especially mine, because I take positional value and defensive value. So I weigh it so heavily. But I could see Vinny turning into a, a, a good big league regular, somebody who's maybe an above average big league regular. I wouldn't want to project anything more than that because it's just doesn't seem realistic. Everything has to go right for him. But the fact that he made contact at high rates, we're going all the way back to college, and really held that all the way up to AAA, walked one more time than he struck out in AAA this year. Well, take away the intentional walk. I guess it was a one-to-one -one ratio. That's pretty good. And for a guy who didn't even play it, he played at Old Dominion. It's not... I mean, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not like he played in the SEC and this guy just kept right on going. In fact, in, as I'm looking at this now in his two years in full season ball, so throwing away 2019 right after he was drafted, but he had 110 walks and 110 strikeouts across high A, double A, triple A. That's amazing. And I want to overread the stat line. I, I think he can hit. I've seen this guy play. I've watched video. I think he can hit. I think there's above average power there. If he turns into a 30, 35 homer guy, I'll be surprised. If he can send, continually hits 300 in the majors with the commensurate OBP because he does draw walks, I would be surprised. I don't think he's that level of player, but I think he's good enough to be an everyday player for the Royals. And then I like Nick Prado too. Maybe Nick Prado becomes somebody they look at trading to go get some of that pitching help. Yeah, I think the the other player doing a similar leaderboard surfing over at Fangraphs is a guy in the Cardinals system that I haven't really heard a whole lot about, Alec Burleson. He's an outfielder, 6'2", mm -hmm. 212. He's 23 years old, has the K rate under 15%, doesn't walk as much as Pasquantino does, but he's popped 16 homers this year. It's yeah. been a, a pretty big breakout for him, just putting that kind of bat-to-ball consistency there with power that he showed previously at AA a season ago. And he wasn't good in AAA a year ago. So there's always a little bit of a, hey, he's repeating the level. All right, we'll hold up a little bit. He, to me, is more, I think it's more power than hit. The cut in the strikeout rate is is impressive, surprising. I've noticed a few guys doing that at AAA this year. I don't know quite know what the explanation is, why so many guys are going AA to AAA and striking out quite a bit less. But I think Burleson has also made it clear he's a better player than what we saw from him at AAA last year. And at least 
you know, he may be a guy. It's very hard to break into that Cardinals lineup. He may be the guy. Hey, maybe he goes in the Mike Trout trade. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think there's value there. I do. I think there's some, there's absolutely, he's, he's gone from a guy who, eh, it's a good minor league slugger type, but I don't know if there's really going to be that much major league value for him, especially given, you know, the fact that he finally got to lose a little more age appropriate last year. Not a big on base guy, not a big patience guy. The fact that he has shown that development so far this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely quite a bit more optimistic on him than I was what would it was five, six months ago when I was doing, I don't think he was very high in my rankings at all. I was not a big believer because he's not, there's not defensive value. He's not that good of an athlete. I do think there's some approach questions and it'll be a low average slugger, but I think he's got enough of the other stuff now that he can succeed as a low average slugger. Yeah, probably a good second or, or third player included in a trade that brings back something that helps the Cardinals more in the short term. If we're trying yep. to look at what's likely next for uh, Alec Burleson, because you're right, they've got plenty of depth around that outfield. Doesn't seem like there's an easy path for him to break through in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Hope everybody out there has a, a safe and happy a long holiday weekend. If you are in the States and taking some time off, it is probably much deserved. So relax, enjoy some nice weather, enjoy the grill or whatever it is that makes you happy on a long summer weekend. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Tuesday. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.